Fed can just print more money out of thin air, but the government's always going to be in debt to the Fed. to another episode here uh this one is gonna be pretty deep so you know buckle up gonna be talking about the safari club uh gonna get into kissinger a little too because he had significant roles in this believe it or not it seems like this guy has his fingers in everything dark uh not only in the united states but around the world i mean the guy has perpetuated genocides in a few countries um, in my opinion, probably, I mean, it's a stretch probably to some of you. I think Henry Kissinger might be the worst man, uh, to ever live on this planet, to be honest. Um, and that's a stretch because, you know, we're pounded in our heads that Hitler is the worst and he, I, he might be, he's done some horrible things. It's a, a close one and two right there. Uh, you've got some others, obviously, you know, you got Napoleon and, uh, narrow is you know looked at real negatively uh by the christians and quite a few figures right but kissinger uh takes the cake in my humble opinion because he has no morals it seems and no beliefs i think someone that doesn't have beliefs and just does things for the job um i don't i don't understand because yeah what hitler did was awful right but Hitler believed in something. There are some things that you might believe in that are crazy. And you'll act on those things. And maybe you'll act crazy in order to protect those things or to perpetuate that idea. Um, so while I don't agree at all with Hitler's ideology, he believed in something. And he tried to carry that out. Um, and he acted accordingly, right? Again, can't stress how much I don't approve of Hitler, but it seems that Kissinger really had no beliefs again. And uh, so I'm going to get into him a little bit as well. I'm going to kind of tease you a little bit up front uh, with what the Safari Club is. And then uh going to get into Kissinger a little bit. Then we'll obviously get back to uh, more on the Safari Club. And periodically, I will kind of have to do like little character breakdowns here. Because um, there's some very, very influential people affiliated with the Safari group. And um, I feel like I would not be doing the entire thing uh, justice if I didn't, you know, kind of talk about each one of these characters a little bit as they come up. I would talk about them up front, but I feel like that's boring. I don't want to make this like a storyboard situation. So, um, but this is one of those topics, man, where. When I look into things like this, like deep intelligence, the intelligentsia, some people refer to it as, um, deep intelligence agencies, um, I give myself a couple days after I look into them 
just to try and process it. And I will be honest right now, this is one of the more confusing ones that I had looked into. Um, Pilgrim Society is one of the ones that's kind of deep and and uh, a little confusing even for someone who researches it and then spends some time trying to process it. This one, uh, I would say, is much, much more difficult for me to understand because there's overlapping agencies. There's uh, Le Cercle out of France or, or Panay Cercle, um, the 61 or the 6th International. Um, these things I'm not going to get into at all, really. I'm, I'll mention them, but you have overlapping groups. And, and this is how it's supposed to be, right? Intelligence services are supposed to be confusing for the enemy, right? And the West seems to work in cahoots with each other, for sure. But um, it seems like they definitely dabble in their enemies' undertakings as well. Obviously, we've all heard of double agents, triple agents, all these things. But, man, uh, this is just one of the most wild things, uh, just technically speaking, that I've looked into. So I hope that you'll enjoy it. Um, and I hope that I can make this uh, a fairly clear uh, as to what is going on here, what the goal was. And uh, I think the goal is pretty apparent. But at the same time, um, I mean, this could be out there just just as another distraction, right? Um, not a lot of people have heard of this whole thing. I've spoken about it briefly in my BCCI episode, the Bank of uh, Credit and Commerce. Uh, that is a very, very closely tied in thing here, as you'll see. You'll see the bushes pop up. Um, some heavy hitters, man, some heavy, heavy hitters. So uh, before rolling into that, guys, thanks for your support. Um, if you want to listen to all the full versions of all the episodes and just support the show and my work, uh, patreon.com slash dangerous world podcast is the absolute best way to do it. Um, really growing over there. And I appreciate that. I think we're at an all time high for numbers and uh, it's just fun. It's really fun uh, to to be in this community and engaging with you guys. I talk a lot with everybody over there, try and answer you, uh, you know, within an hour of your email being sent. Unless you're one of those people that stays up late, because unfortunately, I don't make enough money over there. I have a day job and I have to wake up very early, um, but hopefully we'll change that soon. OK, so patreon.com slash dangerous world podcast to plug it every episode. I know you know where it's at. Um, dangerousworldstore.com there's a few new designs on there two of them to be specific uh got a couple more coming out and then uh depending on how these hat samples come back i might have some cool hats coming up too um so just fun to uh to sling some merch and uh see you guys wearing them man sometimes there's some real sexy girls wearing those things and i appreciate that um, and then I also like when uh, smelly ass dudes where I'm too like myself. Uh, yeah, dangerous world store, baby. That's what you got to do. Um, I think that's about it, man, for right now. You know, I don't want to keep the uh, the plugs going too long because uh, we got a lot to get into here. And um, again, some of the most intricate stuff that I have ever looked into so far and uh, didn't have a lot of time to do it. You know, I do two episodes a week. And uh, a lot of energy goes into each one of those episodes. So let me know at the end of this if you understand what the hell I'm talking about. I think that uh, I did a, a fairly decent job here. But again, um, Safari Club, these guys, they to start, I would say their crowning achievement was to help push Russia into invading Afghanistan so they could sort of have their own version 
of Vietnam. This is the level of shit that they were doing. Um, absolutely, their biggest accomplishment was breaking up the USSR. Um, they acted as a very, very anti-communist organization. And by all accounts, they're still in operation today. Um, you will see some people saying that they disbanded, but uh, I just don't I don't see why, if it's so efficient at what they did, why they would be broken up. Um, but like I said, very anti-communist, super Eastern establishment, heavy hitters like the Bushes, like their friends. And for those that have heard that Eastern establishment term getting thrown around, not really sure what it is. It's basically... I thought when I was looking into it that it was like Eastern, like, you know, China and stuff like that. It's Eastern of the country, basically, you know, real intellectual schools like uh, Harvard, Yale, uh, freaking all these big, big schools, Penn State, which I did not understand was an Ivy League school. It's basically another term for Ivy League um, Eastern establishment. So, you know, the Bush family has been involved with this for generations and they're all about big money intellectual you know friends and and uh you know the bushes which i'll get into hw bush a little bit here he is one of the most intelligent operators in history i would say um i don't like giving these people credit but even kissinger who i'll get into here in a bit you have to stand back in awe the way that these people operate um it's again, I don't mean to give them credit, but e you have to. You just can't say these guys are fucking idiots. They're evil geniuses, evil geniuses, emphasis on genius. Um, but, you know, the Safari Club here, it's a spinoff of the right wing Panay Circle, as I mentioned, or less circling. Um, kind of a secret off the books private sector intelligence agency. And they're very, very in league with the CIA, even though, you know, one may view them as a competitor to the CIA. This is absolutely intended, um, mostly made up of right wing intel, uh, intelligence veterans, which shaped the 70s and the 80s, which, you know, it was a time of growth, especially the 80s in the United States, but a real, real rough time behind the curtain. I mean, politically speaking, the 70s were a shit show. And then the 80s were as well. And I think ever since then, we've sort of been devolving, politically speaking. Um, I don't know. I, I would say that they did their jobs exactly, exactly how they wanted. Um, the 61 started out around the same time as the Safari Club. It started a year, year before, or a couple years before. The reason I was saying a year after was because of the uh, ties with BCCI. BCCI started up in 72 and uh the 61 started in uh 73 so 71 seems like they would be at odds again but it's a uk deep state intelligence group founded by this fella australian fella named uh they use bloke down there i think right australian bloke named brian crozier i think is how you pronounce the 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 bloke's name i almost called him a sheila sheila's a woman he might identify as a sheila though to be honest I think he's dead. I didn't look too much into him, uh, but very, very weird, weird uh, dude for sure. He was obviously in Le Cercle and uh, tied in with a bunch of these people, man. Just, you know, all these guys touch dicks, man. They're weird. And um, this is almost exactly just Le Cercle branded is essentially what 61 was. And they had several of the same members. 
I mean, it really all seems like money laundering and just intentional confusion to keep adversaries from being able to understand exactly what's going on. And it adds really nicely to that mosaic principle, right? I mean, the idea of uh, a mosaic tile where, you know, there's all these different pieces of glass that make up a, a beautiful image. And each piece of glass would represent a different undertaking of a different group that is not affiliated with any of those other pieces of glass. Um, really interesting idea and a, a very, very key principle to how intelligence works, even how the military works. Now, as for the Safari Club, which didn't come to light formally until 2002, um, it's explained best by the former head of Saudi intelligence, Prince Turkey Al-Faisal, who was in charge uh, from 1977 to 2001. And he said in regard here to the Safari Club that in 1976, after the Watergate matters took place here, your intelligence community was literally tied up by Congress. It could not do anything. It could not send spies, it could not write reports, and it could not pay money. In order to compensate for that, a group of countries got together in the hope of fighting communism and established what's called the Safari Club. The Safari Club included France, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Morocco, and Iran. Now, what's interesting is, again, the Safari Club pops up before the uh, 1976 Watergate stuff. So, you know... It is what it is, but again, this stuff wasn't wasn't coming to light until years later. Now, the wings of the Safari Club, you've got France, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Morocco, and Iran. Weird little group of countries that you wouldn't really think would uh, join alliances on behalf of the United States. And it really is on behalf of the United States, as, as will become very, very clear, I think, even though they have no formal involvement. Now, acting on uh, behalf of France, you have Alexandre de Menrache. And uh, I will probably have to list all these people's names out in the description if you want to look into them and their affiliations, uh, the services that they worked with. This uh, Alexandre de Merche, if that's how you pronounce it, again, French, I'm not good at this, but he worked for the External Intelligence Agency, the CDECE. Let me take a crack at this one. The Director of the Servants de Documentation Extraire. Et de contre espionage. I know espionage, baby. Um, Saudi Arabia, acting on behalf of them, you have Kamal Adnam. Um, Kamal Adnam was uh, director of intelligence, Al Makbarat Al Amah. Okay. Another one. I think that you have to kind of act like you're choking when you say Makbarat, but uh, just basically another Saudi Arabian intelligence uh, service there. On behalf of Egypt, General Kamal Hassan Ali. Director of Intelligence, Mahbarat. Morocco, General Ahmed. I like saying Ahmed. I feel like a terrorist when I say that. Ahmed Dlemi, Director of Intelligence and Commander of the Royal Moroccan Army. And uh, last but not least, Iran, acting on behalf of them, General Nematola Nasiri of Sabak, which is Iranian intelligence, okay? Now, with the Safari Club using this informal division of labor in conducting its global operations, uh, Saudi Arabia provided the money, of course. Who else? Who else there? Uh, France provided high-end technology, which they absolutely had at the time. And they, I mean, they're still cutting edge. Egypt and Morocco supplied weapons and troops. And the Safari Club uh, typically coordinated with American and Israeli intelligence agencies. We're talking Mossad, CIA, and uh, some other hidden ones there. 
but the U.S. government wasn't formally involved. Uh, however, the CIA was by proxy, though, um, through none other than our boy Henry Kissinger, who acted on behalf of the CIA the same way that the uh, five men mentioned above there did. Um, now, I'm going to talk about this lizard dude a, a little bit here, because, like I said, he's had his fingers in nearly everything that makes the world a very, very, very dangerous place, right? And, uh, man, he is actually, uh, you know, he met Klaus Schwab and George Soros, and they're both protégés of his. And he met Klaus Schwab at Harvard. He was teaching at Harvard. He's alumni at Harvard. Um, big, big swinging dick over there at uh, that shitbag of a school. And uh, this is where Klaus Schwab went. So anyone significant really coming out of Harvard, uh, Kissinger obviously has his uh, dick literally in probably. But um, let's start with a few good quotes from Kissinger here just to kind of give you an idea. And again, I know that we all know he's a bad guy, but I don't know if y'all know exactly how how uh, dark that heart is, so to speak, because, man, keeping in mind here with these quotes that he is a Holocaust survivor, essentially, right? A German Jew born in 1923 or 24, I believe. Let me double check that because um, he's 98. So that would make him, what, 24? Or, yeah, 1924. My math is horrible. Uh, yeah, so 1923. May 27th, baby. Yeah, 98. Born in Firth, Bavaria, Germany. Jeez. And he was born Heinz. Uh, so he he changed to Henry, obviously, just so he could sound a little more... Uh, American. It's a little disarming here in Henry. Uh, I know that that's just literally the translation of Heinz in, in uh, American here, but check out these quotes. So again, German Jew here saying, if it weren't for the accident of my birth, I would be anti-Semitic. Ooh, that one stings coming off the tongue there a little bit. And for the record, I am not saying these. These are Henry Kissinger saying these, a German Jew. Any group of people being persecuted for 2,000 years must be doing something wrong. Wow. Ooh, that one might get me uh, kicked off here, honestly. Let's uh, slow down here, Henry. Any group of people being persecuted for 2,000 years. Man, that is rough. That is, that. I mean, no chill with this guy. Um, this one, too. Jeez. If they put Jews into gas chambers in the Soviet Union, it's not an American concern. Maybe a humanitarian concern. Oof. And this one, this last one here, I'm not going to continue with this because I'm sure I have lost a lot of listeners at this point. Um, this one pertains more to the United States. And uh, it's uh, not the most disturbing quote out of those four, but definitely spreads past his own uh, Jewish heritage. He says, the illegal we do immediately the unconstitutional takes a little longer. So he he's deliberately trying to act unconstitutionally. He wants to remove rights. He, uh, probably that Second Amendment's high up on his list. Freedom of speech, I'm sure he's not a fan of. He's definitely not going to like this episode. Um, but, you know, it, it's scary, the stuff that he says and, and what he believes. It's scary to see what's going to happen when he passes away, too. Who's going to take his place? Um, again, Klaus Schwab seems to be being groomed to do so. A lot of us thought George Soros, but George Soros is looking pretty rough now, too, um, unfortunately, right? And it's funny, actually, you know, 
I guess he he's in pop culture a lot and he's referenced in pop culture a lot in the uh, American horror story, which I've mentioned several times. He's the only one that's actively like alluded to as a lizard person. He's got the reptilian eyes in that movie or in that show. Uh, he's got the tongue, the lizard tongue, clearly a reptilian, um, <laughs> you know, and if I think anyone that's alive is one, it might be this guy. He definitely seems to thrive um, and, you know, thrive in a massive way off of negative energy and and harm and just you know a lot of chaos uh i guess he's mentioned in the venture brothers quite often too he's like this very polite british guy that always has whatever you need in his briefcase um always willing to help you out and it makes sense when i go down a little further he's supposedly very charming um but yeah he's literally up there like i said for the most evil person ever to live and he's in my opinion like i said the worst because of the lack of true beliefs he did all that he did throughout his 98 years on this earth essentially to uh just keep a job and to keep up status even as a young boy uh he really really valued he was a vain a vain dude he valued uh women attention and it seems like later in his life he becomes almost bisexual um he got a rush from spying on friends um you know, it was funny. He he seems like he's proud that he can even fuck over his friends. Um, you know, the people that trust you the most, he's excited to screw them over a little bit. So um, I don't know. It, it, it's just a, a scary, scary aspect that this guy has been the most powerful man in government for quite some time. And his crowning achievement, and this is something that is actually, you know, positive on the surface, and the mainstream media will tell you that it's a positive thing is uh he's responsible for china and u.s uh diplomatic relations but he perpetuated the bangladesh genocide in 1971 for that to be possible now let me explain that um this is one of the largest genocides since the holocaust if you go it's definitely top 10 uh three million bengalis uh i'm sorry bengalis were killed and 400,000 women were raped, according to the Bangladesh government. Now, you'll, you might hear a, a range of numbers. They might say 300,000 to 3 million Bengalis were killed, and 40,000 to 400,000 women were raped. I like how they just add uh, a few zeros uh, onto either one of those. But, man, uh, ugh, just, well, yeah, actually, in both cases, they add three zeros. Really, really fucked up, man. Um that's a it's a tragic situation obviously anytime that anyone in mass numbers like that just gets slaughtered for no reason civilians this isn't the only time that he does that um Mao Zedong loved Henry Kissinger and actually offered him 10 million women to take back to the United States because obviously they had too many women anytime Mao Zedong loves you um I would say you're probably doing something wrong because that man uh, a lot of people say that he's responsible for more death than anyone else in in history in the in the uh 20th century obviously but man just the the list goes on and on here nixon considered um the the president of pakistan yaya which you know the the bangladesh genocide was perpetuated by the pakistanis under yaya um named yaya khan and nixon didn't like anyone but he really did like yaya khan they were both alcoholics and uh, Kissinger secretly was giving the Pakistanis weapons the whole time under Yaya so that they could perpetuate this genocide uh, and really just, I mean, just lay waste to some innocent people. And Kissinger 
actually seemed perfectly fine about the genocide, telling Nixon that it was important to get diplomatic ties with China at any cost. Nixon answers to him, who gives a damn about Bangladesh? So Nixon, no saint either, but uh, I think he was kind of an incompetent alcoholic. But, uh, you know, this genocide goes on for a while. And then this, uh, again, this alcoholic Yahya declares war on behalf of Pakistan and loses the war in just 13 days after India completely eviscerates Pakistan. They almost made it so Pakistan couldn't even be, be a country after this in just, uh, you know, just less than two weeks. I've got a link there that I'll uh, share with you, just kind of breaking that down a little bit. Sad stuff, but at least India, you know, wiped them out and uh, got a little bit of revenge for all those Bengalis that were just slaughtered. Um, so this is how Kissinger ties China and the United States together under Nixon. Uh, that's his crowning achievement by uh, mainstream media standards. Uh, just there's no good thing that this guy does without massive, massive casualties. And that's what it is for them. It's breaking eggs, right? Um, keeping in mind all those quotes that he said, all the nasty things that he does, the genocides that he perpetuates. A lot of his family died in the Holocaust, about 13 members of his family. Um, could be a little more or a little less, but I heard 13 on, from multiple sources, so I'm sticking with it. And, uh, you know, despite all the negative stuff I have to say about him, as a kid, as a young teenager, he saw some shit. He had a pretty shitty life, it sounds like, if all of the sources are true. Um, supposedly, he even went to a concentration camp after he was living in the United States. And uh, I don't know this to be 100% true, but some uh, Holocaust survivor recently uh, that actually said that she remembers him being the one that announced at the concentration camp that, you know, you're all free. Um, America's come here to save you, all this bullshit, right? Even though they perpetuated the war on both sides and, you know, let's not muddy the waters here. But uh, Kissinger saw lots of dead people, um, saw people at the Holocaust. Wanted to give them food until he realized, you know, if you give these people solid food, they're going to die because they're so emaciated. Uh, Yeah, just the guy clearly saw some fucked up stuff, but no excuse for what he's carried out. Um, He did a good job making people kind of um, sympathize with him, even when he would commit these kinds of genocides or at least help them get carried out. And he was referred to as Cuddly Kissinger by the media and named the sex symbol of the Nixon administration. Um, He was really, he really, really had a way with people, uh, men and women alike. Very charming dude. He would leak stories to liberal reporters because he was obviously considered a neocon, uh, even though he's more, again, Eastern establishment, I would say, uh, going to Harvard and all, uh, tied in with the Bushes. Bushes are more tied into him. I think anytime you're, if you were going like prison rules here, uh, they're holding on to his pocket, right? Uh, he would leak stories to liberal reporters who are, are prone to hate him because of his political ideology. And he would win over these liberal reporters. He, sometimes he'd give them real stories. Sometimes he'd give them complete bullshit stories. And he would, they would uh, then begin to trust him. And not only that, but approve of him and say, you know, because he would he would lie to them and say, you know, if it's not me, it's going to be Spiro Agnew. And, you know, that guy was a known neocon, probably put there intentionally to act as such. And, uh, you know, the guy just always seemed to knew the right know the right thing to say and got away with a lot of shit because of it. 
Now, Kissinger teaches at Harvard before he got the gig with the Council on Foreign Relations. Big friend of the show, friendly organization. They're actually going to start sponsoring us next quarter. And his Harvard mentor was this guy, Tom Schelling. And Kissinger learned from Schelling that uh, power comes from those who can cause a lot of harm and often and should do so. Now, that's a loose quote. That's not exactly what he says, but he basically says, you know, like, if you have power, you will become uh, or I'm sorry, if you if you want power, you have to cause harm. You have to make people afraid of you. That's the only true power that any country or, or kingdom or whatever can can hold. Now, he started his political career really under the Eisenhower administration. He didn't work for Eisenhower by any means, but he had backing from Nelson Rockefeller. Nelson Rockefeller, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was running for president around this time, ends up becoming vice president under Gerald Ford. And um, yeah, just uh, really complicated how he ties in back and forth. He switches so seamlessly from conservative to liberal and he just goes back and forth because, again, all that he believes in is himself, uh, almost almost like George Soros. There's something with these these poor people that go through, um, and I'm not calling him poor to be clear, but something with these people that go through the Holocaust that they only believe in themselves. I wouldn't doubt that he is an atheist. Uh, I didn't dig into that at all. I don't really care. He's just a piece of shit no matter what. I know George Soros is an atheist. They have similar upbringings, similar backgrounds. And uh, they're obviously acting in similar ways today. Uh, one thing that's that's mind blowing, and this really starts Kissinger's uh, you know whole move towards what he uh, where he stands on nukes. He really did not like Eisenhower's strong stand against using nukes, whether tactically or or just all out using them. He's one of the largest believers in tactical nuclear weapons. As long as it's to take out communism or take out your enemies, use nuclear weapons. One of the most pro-nuclear people in history. And uh, he tried to use them in instances where just simple bombs would work. Uh, One would be uh, in Vietnam trying to disrupt supply chains. Rather than just dropping bombs and ruining the train tracks, he wanted to nuke the train tracks. I mean, you know, it's psychotic shit, really. It really is nuts. And you know what's crazy, actually, too, is that Putin supposedly feels the same way about tactical nukes. And we think he's a crazy savage, but Kissinger is still praised by the media and the elite today. I mean, you can see interviews on on many podcasts with him. Um, I didn't listen to any because I was more trying to get what other people say about him. I can have an idea of what he says about himself. He's probably very, very pro Kissinger. But uh, yeah, just it's wild how the double standard lays into effect here. He was even too wild for the Dulles brothers. John and uh, John Foster and Alan Dulles thought that uh, old Kissinger was a little too much. And he actually get, ends up getting the uh, Council on Foreign Relations to endorse the United States use of nukes when necessary. Now, it could be a scare tactic, but uh, he, he starts having the, the Council on Foreign Relations say, yeah, you know, we got to agree with Henry here. Using tactical nukes might be a good move against our enemies. And he did this through a report which essentially says nukes should be used more often. And in the report, Kissinger states that nuking is the logical answer to Sputnik because the Russians got man into space, which is either possibly fake or gay. We're not sure. 
The jury's still out on that. Uh, Rockefeller went on TV back then, and he endorsed this uh, this report from Kissinger. And Nixon was actually photographed holding it as well. So, you know, this is kind of like, you know, if you're writing a story, this is some good foreshadowing of what's going to come of Nixon because of Kissinger's influence. Now, let's start getting into the good shit here. This is the real, real incriminating stuff. I do need to mention that that is how he got his uh, Harvard job, I guess, was claiming that nukes are good. He was, like I said, hanging out around Harvard, uh, dicking around a little bit. And uh, he actually becomes the advisor through Harvard at quite a few, like the Rand Corporation, I know, um, some real, real influential groups and uh, think tanks and just, you know, not stuff that you would really want to uh, want your kid involved with. So so he uh, was an advisor to the Operations Research Office, the Arms Control and Disarmament Agency, Department of State. And the Rand Corporation, Rand Corporation, obviously being the by far the worst one there. But yeah, he hung out at Harvard. He interned for quite a few folks, had a mentor. And uh, then he actually gets a formal job after impressing the Council on Foreign Relations to the point where they start changing their nuclear policies based off what he says. And they change it in a hawkish way. Right. Be one thing. If they were very pro tactical nuke and Kissinger comes in and says, hey, guys, this is not responsible Let's lay off this a little bit and, you know, let's think about the the consequences of nuclear warfare. And this is what fuels the, the freaking theories that he's a damn lizard, man, you know, or a cockroach in human in a human skin suit. He wants nukes. He wants the world to himself, it sounds like. And I just don't understand how you can live the way that he's lived for 98 fucking years. Um, again, quite the fascinating record and quite the fascinating approach to life this is some of the stuff that i find the most interesting um but how do you sleep at night i think that's part partially what's so interesting to me about it but um we're gonna get into his genocides and stuff here now as i mentioned you know he switches back and forth you know kind of a he's very policy fluid he had to back off on his hawkish stance with nuclear weapons during the kennedy presidency because you know, all that he cares about is staying close to power. He can't become president because he's born in a different country. Um, so he wants to stay as close to power as possible. And he's even been quoted in private saying that Vietnam was an unwinnable war under the Kennedy administration. But in uh, in public, he would actually say, like, you know, more Americans need to get out there and they need to fight. We need to increase our presence there. And we're winning. We're doing a good job. But, you know, he's recording himself saying that that's not the case in private. Now, later, he endorses uh, Richard Nixon as president, despite saying that he's the most dangerous presidential candidate to date. Now, Nixon and Kissinger started sabotaging negotiations with the North and South Vietnamese, and they were caught on tape by the LBJ administration. And since the uh, current administration didn't want americans to lose faith in the system supposedly i mean this just doesn't make sense i think that you say fuck these guys get them out of here this is what kind of makes you think that all this shit's planned but because they didn't want americans losing faith in the system lbj just kept quiet and nixon ends up winning obviously we know who won um because of of these events right nixon colluded with the southern vietnamese president when van thu by continuing the Vietnam War, 
prolonging it essentially, right? Um, they wanted to make the LBJ administration seem incompetent. LBJ said they were going to end the Vietnam War, didn't do it, and uh, they made him look like he was unwilling to end it and that he just wasn't able to make shit happen because Kissinger was actually conducting some serious treason here by floating from the LBJ camp over to the Nixon camp and back and forth. And anytime Nixon, or I'm sorry, anytime uh, LBJ would try to set up peace talks with the North and the South or call for bombing halts, Kissinger would tell Nixon to tell Van Thu when Van Thu, the Southern Vietnamese president, ignore this shit, keep fighting. You know what I mean? This is all bullshit. We're going to make sure that you guys win. We're going to make you look like a hero. I'm going to win this United States election. And, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that you're taken care of and blah, blah, blah. Um, so essentially high treason here committed by not only Nixon, mostly Kissinger by, you know, costing a lot of American lives. And this is a time of war. So this is treason. Uh, man, it, it's mind blowing to think that the the war could have ended potentially with these peace talks because it's just complete carnage. I mean, the, the country is in disarray. Um, both sides wanted to end it, but because of the United States and Kissinger, really, they weren't able to, you know what I mean? They could have absolutely done it with peace talks and bombing halts, but neither one of the sides actually knew what was going down, right? It's crazy. It is wild to think. Now, Nixon supposedly admired Kissinger's ability and willingness to go these massive lengths to keep roles, um, and treasonous activity secret. So this ended up winning uh, Nixon's approval. So this is why fucking Kissinger ends up becoming Secretary of State under Nixon and uh, goes on to work with the Ford administration afterwards as well with uh, his buddy Nelson. And uh, I mean, I don't know, just right away, you know, Nixon starts uh, getting influenced more and more by Kissinger. Kissinger's uh, First thing he does is he creates a menu of bombing targets in Cambodia. And the reason that I'm calling it a menu is because it was called Operation Menu with bombing targets called breakfast, lunch, dessert, dinner, snack, and so on, right? Um, the operation was considered a massive failure that killed at least 4,000 Cambodian civilians, okay? Hardly any troops of the Vietnamese because... Essentially, what was going on was the Vietnam, the uh, northern Vietnamese and the enemy was running through Cambodia, and they were obviously doing it through villages. Um, and Kissinger didn't distinguish the the Cambodian villagers from the enemy, and just bombed the shit out of the villages, hardly killing any of the enemy at all, just a bunch of civilians. Um, numbers aren't really clear; likely higher than four thousand. I'm trying to be a little more conservative on that one. Um, but it's truly, truly tragic. And they kept this operation secret from Congress and used the presidential power, tapped into two colonels. Uh, <laughs> and man, they drafted up this bombing plan and they would wire the coordinates to the proper radar station in Vietnam. That plane would have a supposed fake target in northern Vietnam, which Congress knew about. Like they, they, we're told, okay, this is the target that this plane is attacking at this time. The plane would take off with approval midair. It would abandon the uh, fake target 
and head into Cambodia with the real target that Kissinger wrote up with the help of these two rogue colonels. And uh, I mean, again, a neutral country, right? And bomb targets that Kissinger himself cooked up. The pilot was then instructed to burn their instructions and erase all evidence uh, other than the incinerated village that this bombing ever took place. And essentially, it's really a, a secret war going on against a group of civilians in an entirely different country than the one that Congress had approved of attacking. Even the American people weren't really on board with the American war, or the uh, Vietnam War. Um, but even if they were on board with it, they definitely weren't on board with fucking Cambodia getting just bombed to shit because Cambodia wasn't doing anything wrong. Insane. Um, they use carpet bombing by B-52s, which are massive planes, essentially the size of a commercial jet. They fly a mile high, so you can't even see these planes. You're just getting hellfire rained on you from the gods, it feels like. And the pilot especially uh, can't tell if they're bombing troops or civilians, right? Why wouldn't you use fighter jets? I can actually see what the fuck's going on. They used these planes intentionally because Kiss Kissinger's an evil genius. He wants to cause carnage, it seems, right? Um, they just often bomb villages where troops weren't even around. Even if troops were around. Again, it wasn't Cambodian troops. It was just fucking Viet Cong troops walking through. It's it's fucked up. It's one of the most fucked up things that he did. And he's done a lot of them. But I mean, this one, when I was you know looking into this, I was just like, damn, dude, how do you sleep at night with this kind of stuff? After bombing the people for months, it seemed like to them, probably, I think it was actually just like a few weeks. Um, but it was a pretty, pretty horrible long two weeks, I'm sure. Uh, after bombing this, uh, these villages, they supposedly rose up to fight against the king after all the unrest, the king of Cambodia. But the CIA with Kissinger really set up this right wing coup with agent provocateurs and psyops going on, and it caused all the other people in Cambodia to rise up as well. Now they th overthrew the king. And then uh, they back the Khmer Rouge and Pol Pot. So that's not a good situation either. Okay. Essentially, Kissinger, what they did was they attacked the fuck out of Cambodia to get this king out of there and throw in a communist dictator, even though he called himself a prime minister, a communist dictator, a communist army. For what? You know what I mean? They're Marxist-Leninist revolutionaries. They're not, they're not in support of what Kissinger pretends he is supporting. He pretends that he supports democracy and, uh, you know, the American Republic hates communism, but he installs Pol Pot, right? That's why they were bombing Cambodia. It's fucking wild. He's also responsible for uh, getting Agent Orange used massively in Vietnam. I mean, Agent Orange causes all kinds of problems, lots of cancer. After giving the speech at MIT explaining how bad he feels about the human death in Cambodia, uh, he goes on to send 17,000 Southern Vietnamese and American ground troops into Laos. Most of them were either hurt or killed. Think about 8,000 were wounded and then a few more were killed. Uh, I mean, they considered it a victory, though, right? Because it played well with conservatives. It, all that matters is how you can spin this politically. Real, real shitty. 
So, you know, it's funny. He does all this really horrible stuff. And then when he calls out a staffer uh, for, for not being man enough, the staffer wants to kick his ass and he hides behind the desk. And then he just kind of starts going crazy with firing a real soft pussy, but he was absolutely willing to do some horrible, reckless bombing in innocent areas. And man, it's, I just can't emphasize how, how much that fucked with me when I heard that it's a sad situation. Um, and he's, he's got some real, real interesting mannerisms and, you know, the way that he was so enthralling and it seemed like he just was very, very vain and, you know, for some reason, all that he believes in is himself. You know, he would wire everyone. He wired Nixon. Uh, he was definitely behind uh, Watergate in some way, right? I mean, a lot of people will say that it's, you know, him, that it was Nixon doing all the wrong shit. Nixon was just an incompetent drunk and a racist, right? These aren't the worst things in the world. Yeah, racism sucks. Alcoholism, he's just hurting himself. I honestly think he was an alcoholic, probably because Kissinger was fucking scaring the shit out of him. You know what I mean? Um, kind of like how George W. Bush, I really don't respect George W. Bush at all, but you can tell, and it should, this should be the case, that George W. Bush is kept up at night over what happened with 9-11 and with uh, Iraq, right? I don't know if you saw the clip where he is talking about how shitty Putin is for doing what he's doing in Ukraine, and he has a little Freudian slip and mentions Iraq saying how fucked up it is for someone to just go in and invade a country unjustly like Iraq. I mean, Ukraine, you know, and he even says, I mean, Ukraine, uh, I would have just played it off if I was him, but man, uh, that man has some demons. That's why he's painting all those dumbass pictures. Now I think he even painted a picture of Putin, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, Cheney was clearly in charge of what was going on then. Right. But you know, W. Bush being this feckless leader, or the opposite of his father, right? Who only did one term. I think for some reason, I think that was very intentional, uh, you know, with Clinton coming in right after him. Clinton, obviously, very, very well established with the Eastern establishment and all these groups. He was completely opposite of his dad. I'll get into H.W. here a little bit because uh, he's another real, real interesting dude. But I mean, as far as Kissinger goes, I'd like to do a deep dive on him at some point. Just a very, very uh, influential figure in the worst ways that you can think. And truly incredible. I mean, the guy's lived a fucking life, man. Uh, I I wouldn't want to be him. But shit i wish that i could just hear some of the things that he would say in private you know knowing that he's in private because again he would wiretap a lot of his conversations the reason that we know so much about how corrupt nixon and kissinger were is because they fucking recorded themselves and each other you know who the fuck wiretaps themselves they would you know uh, logically you would think well maybe it's to make sure that if i say something uh that could be twisted out of context there will be full context or i can't get incriminated or whatever they're incriminating themselves though you know what i mean so and you know you fucking know that that what's his name nixon knew that he was being watched when he was trying to tap the the enemy so to speak and the the political enemy it's just man 
there's some there's some pieces of work, dude. So I want to do a deep dive on Kissinger. Um, but again, this is not about him. I just wanted to kind of explain a little bit. I felt like it was a good opportunity to explain why he is such a royal piece of shit and my top two worst human beings that ever existed. Top two. I'm gonna go with top one. I think he is the worst, but you know, just to please everyone out there that's on the on team Hitler. Uh, I'm I'm on team Kissinger all day. You know what I mean? I think they they can fucking go head to head, and we'll see who wins that heavyweight bout. But uh, I'm going Kissinger. My money's on Kissinger. Um, but yeah, just oh, and one thing I should mention before we move off him is that he gave his phone conversations, uh, all the records there to the Library of Congress on one condition that they wouldn't be played, they wouldn't be released until. I am dead for five years. Literally. He wants them to be held five years after he dies, and then you can play the shit out of these. Uh, I mean, what is on those? I am eagerly awaiting what is on that shit. Hopefully they don't get redacted because some dipshit like Joe Biden's in office, but we'll see, man. I'm sure it's not going to be a fucking great candidate, but very interesting. Something to look forward to in the next uh Hopefully five years. I mean, let's see. Uh, again, I don't think anything good's going to come when the man dies. But um, it's it's crazy how evil people like that live for so fucking long, man. It's just weird. But um, anyway, let's get back to to what we started out trying to talk about here. You start talking about Kissinger, man. It's a rabbit hole and a half. But um, you know, with this idea that uh, the CIA has their hands tied, as that uh you know, Saudi intelligence leader that uh, Turkey Al-Faisal mentions, man, I don't, I don't know. I'm very skeptical on the reason why the CIA would have their hands tied. I mean, of course the CIA wasn't as powerful back then. And they're trying to kind of conjure up this image. Um, Even though Alan Dulles never had any intention of the CIA having any congressional oversight at all. He essentially wanted it to be the military arm of the elite, not of the country. He didn't want them to act on behalf of the United States. He wanted the CIA to act on behalf of the elite worldwide because we all know they're friends, right? But was this some sort of an excuse to run a blackmail experiment on these other countries? Or was it these other countries attempting to blackmail the United States? Because, I mean, we know that, that, you know, Iran, especially today, on paper, it's a big enemy of the United States, right? The Saudis, they're turning their backs on the United States and the West in general, and they're favoring China. Supposedly, they're going to start doing oil uh, in petrodollars, or not petrodollars, in uh, yuan, Chinese yuan. Um, Egypt, it's kind of a love-hate. They're allies with China and Russia as well as with the U.S. And, uh, man, you know, it's just a matter of time before France is just like... Fuck you. And then, you know, Morocco, they're considered to be one of the United States oldest allies, definitely the oldest in the region. Um, But I mean, with the policies that the United States has and how it's just, you know, fuck you guys, um, you know, we're making enemies quickly. And I'm just wondering how this is going to hold up throughout time. Um, Money and bribery are powerful tools, very powerful tools. And so I'm just curious as to, you know, was this some sort of deeper operation? Clearly the answer is yes, but is there a blackmail aspect involved? Um, you know, with Iran, right? Iran's a great example here. There was the uh, CIA whistleblower, Alan Naharo Perot, that told the father of Tyrone Woods 
that those pallets of cash that Obama and Biden sent to Iran were a small part of a $152 billion bribe to cover up the deaths of some SEAL Team 6 members. They were supposedly going to expose that their uh, the killing of bin Laden wasn't really bin Laden. It was some double. I don't know the validity here to that whole thing, but uh, I would say that factcheck.org does not lay a good case. You know, if you're a, a skeptic of factcheck.org and Snopes and these propagandist arms, uh, they are not fact checkers. They're they're lie enforcers, right? So usually when these people seem defensive, I get very skeptical. But you can go to factcheck.org and you can look into this matter a little bit. And the propaganda is laid on thick, man. They're using terms like baseless, unfounded, unsubstantiated, no proof, distorted take, almost to a cartoonish level where it's like, okay, we get it. You guys don't want anyone to believe this. Lay out the facts. You know what I mean? You can't go a sentence without reading one of those terms. So I don't know. You know, there's a really incredible video. I'll, if I can remember, I'll post a link to it. Um, I'll actually made a no- make a note of that right now because uh, there's a great little short video. Post video of confession. Um, there's a great video of this this whistleblower telling the dad of this Tyrone Woods, you know, hey, this is what it is. And uh, your son uh, died because of a treasonous act by our our presidential administration. It's wild. And again, I don't know. I, you know, sometimes these whistleblowers are full of shit, but it's one of those things where it's like, hey, man, why did we give pallets of uh, cash to Iran? Supposedly it's for denuclearization, but they're already a problem again. Okay. I don't get it. I don't understand. So anyway. Uh, creating a global CIA sounds good when the CIA is being scrutinized, supposedly. But again, the year is 1976, okay? Do you know who was the director of the actual CIA in 1976? George Bush, baby. George H.W. Bush, baby. And funding something like this kind of group wouldn't be possible without people knowing, okay? That's where BCCI comes in, this Bank of Credit and Commerce International. This is where they step in. And George Bush famously not only opened an account, but he encouraged his cronies and his enemies alike to open accounts and trust the fraudulent bank with as much money as he could convince them to hold there. BCCI, if you don't remember, was the largest bank fraud at its time, the most clandestine bank of all time. And uh, again, you know, just very, very corrupt. Definitely the highest profile bank fraud with the highest profile clientele, uh, including Salem bin Laden, which is Osama bin Laden's brother. And, you know, very, very close friends with the Bush family. All kinds of elites from Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, the U.S., many other countries uh, held their money there. Billions of dollars held. And supposedly they got like 75% of these funds back after the, the bank collapsed. Which that's an interesting time too when that bank collapsed. Um, but I did an episode on a while back. Uh, you can go through and find it. It's a few back there. It's um, definitely an interesting thing to look into. Again, BCCI started in 1972, and there was a splintering within the agency. 
agency, for those that may not know, it's CIA. Uh, we call it either the company or the agency uh, here in the biz. But there was a splintering in this uh, CIA, the real CIA, around 1972, described by James Angleton. Uh, and and what, what was going on here was whether the CIA should have congressional oversight or not. And this is referring to the Family Jewels document, the Schlesinger memo. And uh, oddly enough, James Schlesinger actually helped revitalize Henry Kissinger's career and uh, helped Washington, D.C. widely accept Kissinger from going from academia into politics during this Eisenhower administration when he started rolling into politics, made that seamless transition. So it would make a lot of sense. You know, there's... I mean, I, I, I actually feel like there is some serious proof out there. You may be able to debate me on that. I'm not concrete, but I, I would stand behind the idea that BCCI was the primary funder of the Safari Club. Noriega also funded it with the blessing of HW. Um, Noriega, obviously the famous, uh, you know, <laughs> drug, it's out of Panama, right? Big time uh, trafficker, dude, big trafficker. So got Operation Condor in there. And just look any of these up if you're interested. You know, I know that there's a lot of stuff to cover here. So it's just one of those things where I'm just kind of rifling through some of these operations. But uh, Family Jewels is definitely an interesting one. And it ties right in with the Schlesinger memo. Just again, just exp- uh, exposing some of the uh, splintering of the CIA and the idea of whether there should be oversight or not. Um, BCCI came under scrutiny in the 80s and then eventually closed in 1991 after being raided and forced out of business. Now, remember who was president in 1991? The same guy that was director when BCCI started, right? George H.W. Bush, man. And what's more, a lot of records of BCCI's clients were kept in the World Trade Center in New York. And we all know who was president during that tragedy, right? So, I mean, just to be clear here, Poppy Bush, that's what we called HW. Poppy Bush was CIA director when this alternative version of his beloved CIA, which was actually what many CIA bigwigs, including Alan Dulles, the creator of the CIA, wanted. They wanted the CIA to be like the Safari Club. No congressional oversight. Poppy Bush is in charge of the CIA when this is going on. Again, they wanted the CIA to be a military arm for the global elite, not the protector of any specific nation. Therefore, it really, by definition, couldn't answer to Congress. The Congress is supposed to act on behalf of the people. They're not at all. But in theory, that's what they're supposed to do. Might make you think that Watergate was kind of set up by Poppy Bush too, right? Since Watergate really kicked off the whole freezing of the CIA. I don't know. It put this whole Safari Club into motion, on record at least. Safari Club was already started, but the whole JFK-Bush connection with with them too, Kennedy died after calling out the CIA. And Poppy didn't remember where he was that day, even though he was in Texas, right? And Barbara even lied for him in their memos. Again, the foresight. The foresight is insane. I believe uh, Bush was in Houston, right? And the whole shooting obviously went down in Dallas. Uh, and there's a wild little connection there too. Bush, uh, supposedly said that his senior aide may have been the one that shot Kennedy. Um, 
so yeah, very weird. You're trying to pin it on one of pin it on one of his friends. So, you know, again, having your wife write down false memories in their memoirs, um, just in case they're questioned, you know, he could be like, well, let's go check out the memoir. And, you know, he could be in some different place according to his own memory. That is foresight, you know, and the guy acts like a giant pussy on the world stage. Meanwhile, he's like a fucking cold blooded, calculated, maniacal operator. It's crazy. It is really, really interesting stuff. And so now I think that we need to probably get into uh, Khashoggi, some of the other heavy hitters in this whole group. And uh, we'll finish off just talking about what essentially the, uh, the group represents and some of their more controversial undertakings. So they took their name, the Safari Club, from the resort in Kenya, the Safari, the uh, yeah, Safari Kenya, it's called, where they first met. Um, they obviously met when it started in 1976, and the club was operated by this Saudi arms dealer, Adnan Khashoggi. The original charter establishes that an operations center would be built by September 1st, 1976, in Cairo. The group made its headquarters there, and uh, its organization included a secretariat, a planning wing, and an operations wing. Meetings were also held in Saudi Arabia and in Egypt. The group uh, bought a bunch of real estate and uh, secure communications equipment while it was rolling through doing its thing. Now, Khashoggi is a real interesting cat. Uh, As mentioned, he's a uh, Saudi arms dealer. He owned that property, and he would donate money to political campaigns and politicians of Lockheed Martin's choice. That's who he worked on behalf of. They couldn't do it directly after all the bribery scandals going on at the time. And Khashoggi would basically arrange armed arms uh, sales for Lockheed Martin in Arab states. Uh, his net worth peaked out of around $4 billion in the 1980s. So this guy was rich as fuck. Uh, and he went to school with several elites, including the eventual king of Jordan. Started making all kinds of deals and learned how to become an entrepreneur at an early age. Made deals in college and all uh, through grade school and stuff and realized the importance of connecting people, that that's one of the most important things that you can do for yourself is uh, introduce people that can benefit you. And um, yeah, I mean, basically, after college, the guy uh, begins transporting goods. They don't really specify what goods. He's doing them through the Arab desert in trucks, right? Like not uh, big trucks, just like, you know, average vehicle trucks and cars. And this was difficult because of the sand. So he used some money given to him by his father for a personal car. And instead of buying a personal car, he buys some Kenworth trucks and apparently very efficiently starts moving the products through. I'm not going to uh, guess what kinds of things he's moving, but supposedly everything's on the up and up here. But he makes so much money and shows so much promise that Kenworth uh, designates Khashoggi as their Saudi rep early on in his entrepreneurial career. And this is where he makes his first quarter mill. Okay, so now he's moving on up in the world. His dad wasn't terribly rich or anything, from what I understand. Um, I could be completely wrong on that, though. I didn't look into his father at all or really too much of his youth. So he takes these trucks that he bought 
and leases them to a construction company. And this is how he makes $250,000 for the first time. So he starts moving on up in the world. And in the 60s and 70s, he began helping Western companies get involved with the Saudis for various reasons. From 70 to 75, he became affiliated with Lockheed Martin almost exclusively, and he made hundreds of millions of dollars in commission each year. Um, Donated tons of money to the American University in Washington, D.C., which the CIA school is. I mean, it's the CIA school. He was implicated in the Iran-Contra as a critical part of the arms for hostages trades. Now, with Iran-Contra, Reagan's president, guess who's VP? George H.W. Bush. (laughs) It's so funny, man. That guy has his fucking fingers in a lot of this weird stuff, too. Um, Oddly enough, too, uh, Khashoggi's sister, Samira Khashoggi, married Mohammed El Fayed, and that is the mother of Dodi Fayed, or Fayed, uh, which is the dude that Princess Diana was fucking behind Charles back and the guy that died with her in that um, limo crash at the Ponte Alma. Um, very, very weird. Supposedly, too, that, that that is a loose translation to Bridge to the Moon because of the uh, Alma reference in French. But Alma just means Alma. It's just a name. But there is some ISIS reference there. And uh, some moon references. So that was a really occult practice. But, you know, this guy is connected to the uh, the Al-Fayed family. Weird, weird stuff, man. These elites, they live in small circles, obviously. But, uh, yeah. So, anyway, um, Khashoggi not only owned the property that they, they based all this stuff out of Kenya on, uh, the Safari Club and all that good stuff. Khashoggi helped write up the initial charter and supported the idea of the CIA and it's splintering. So was he doing this to weaken the CIA or was he doing it because he had some, uh, some true intentions and true motives there? I don't know, but it's interesting how he came across this property. There was this cat named Raymond John Ryan ended up calling him Mr. Palm Springs. Cause he was a, he was a fucking rich dude too. He's an oil man in the 1920s. And then uh, later invested in massive amounts of real estate, um, ended up buying the El Mirador Hotel in 1952. And uh, I mean, just massive, massive movie stars, elites of that time would hang out at this hotel. And Mr. Ryan was a gambling addict. Okay. Uh, This is how he met um, Khashoggi. They bonded over gambling. He uh, got tied in with the mob. And the CIA, I guess through Meyer Lansky, there was a a place that he was gambling that was owned by Meyer Lansky. And he took up this bet with this professional gambler that was mob connected. Wouldn't honor the deal of the bet. Um, I don't know if he didn't have the money or what, but kind of fucked around and found out because, you know, he essentially he's trying to get out of the business and he owns the uh, Kenya Safari Club, sells it to Khashoggi. And, you know, a few months after he sells it to Khashoggi, he's leaving his Olympia Health and Beauty Resort where he works out. Older dude, but he plans on living a while, right? He's, uh, he's a healthy guy. Walks out of his resort, steps in his car, and uh, turns that baby on and gets himself blown to shit. Just like Casino, the movie, right? Where uh, what was it? Robert De Niro steps in that car, turns it on, the ignition lights a bomb. 
this guy, uh, I guess, got blown the fuck up. I mean, pretty, pretty bad. So uh, he dies, obviously. It's ruled a mob hit right away. And uh, there's a lot more to it. But this is just how Khashoggi ends up acquiring that property. And um, yeah, just a, a very, very interesting little situation there because this Ryan fella ends up dying uh, a few months after selling the property to Khashoggi. And uh, since this guy, this Ryan guy had a tendency to deal with feds and kind of be a big pussy, they uh, ended up green lighting a hit and they're like, oh, yeah, get rid of this motherfucker. And uh, probably there's some some deeper undertones there, some reasoning why they wanted to get rid of him, not just simply, uh, you know, snitching or, or being a big pussy probably something to do with the Kenya Safari Club specifically because it was so shortly after the sale event. And uh, yeah, just a, a, an interesting deal. And I should mention that uh, Khashoggi was, this is very, very interesting. Khashoggi was supposedly formally introduced to the CIA through Miles Copeland. And this is in 1966. Now, Miles Copeland was a representative for Western oil interests. Not a big deal. Not too interesting. The crazy shit to me is that Copeland was the manager of the band, the police, and his son was the drummer of the police, right? Fucking crazy. And the police sing that song. uh, How's it go? Every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you. And this fucking dude that's managing the band is hardcore CIA spook. I mean, it's just, it's, it's wild, wild stuff. I mean, you hear this stuff with a lot of these bands of this time, right? Jim Morrison's dad, um, a lot. Jimi Hendrix was in the military. Um, a lot of the 27 club, it seems. And then you just see it repeated. Kid Cuddy had a military dad. Um, he's big right now in modern times, right? But, uh, yeah, just a, uh, very, very interesting little deal. And Copeland actually had the same idea of the CIA being a separate organization from Congress and just basically able to run uh, run shop the way that they wanted to do it. So a lot of interesting connections here. And um, yeah, it, the way that the building was acquired by Khashoggi was definitely, I don't think, any kind of um, accident here at all. So with all these really weird coincidences and all these seems these stars seeming to just line up so perfectly my question next would be where does the church committee sit frank church and um you know this this church committee which looks into 30 years of cia coups and cover-ups and assassinations and then you have similar things like the pike committee which was passed by congress by a very very slim margin to look into the cia right when Bush became director of the the agency there. And the CIA did not want to cooperate with them at all. They misled, uh, they dragged feet, they did everything that they could so that Congress couldn't find any information and expose what they were doing. And they had some pretty interesting methods of proving their points. Now, this is an alleged method here, um, but knowing how these people operate, I would say uh, there's something to it at, at the very least. I guess eight days after Bush is appointed director of the CIA and they're real upset that, you know, the Congress is trying to expose secrets of the CIA and, and damage their credibility and make it so that their 
operatives and their assets are not safe in the field, right? I mean, sometimes shit has to go down in their minds. Sometimes shit has to go down in secret and not even Congress should know about it because these fucking dumbass lawyers are going to leak information because they want notoriety and they want to look like they're moral. And the CIA intentionally is not moral. So we have to keep some things secret, right? Well, allegedly, they use a man named Richard Welch's, who is a CIA asset. Again, eight days after Bush is appointed director, his information is leaked mysteriously, and uh, Welch's is assassinated in the field. And they use this as an excuse and proof that disclosure of the CIA and their undertakings is harmful to intelligence personnel. And it makes sense, right? But at the same time, it's like, okay, eight days after, come on, dude, like you can't wait a little bit. But, you know, he only had a, a, I think he was only around for about a year or two, uh, Bush was. I could be wrong on that. I know he was a big, big influence in the CIA, but I think he was only director for a short amount of time. Um, but yeah, I, there was, you know, a, a separate theory regarding the Welch's uh, death, which is very fringe. Um, I looked into it a little bit, but um, they were they were thinking that Onassis had Welch killed in retaliation of the JFK and RFK murders. Okay, because Jackie um, obviously tied in with the family big time. They didn't like that shit going down. So this was something that was spread was that Onassis had something to do with Richard Welch's dying. Hard to say. Very, very difficult to prove. A British journalist came out with that. Uh, we know their credibility is not so good. But uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Stanfield Turner uh, was the guy that preceded Bush as director of the CIA. And he knew almost nothing of the Safari Club and their undertakings because I guess he was a company man. Uh, company meaning the u.s government company and uh you know they didn't disclose any of this uh real cia information to him so i don't know you know the cia is losing a lot of power while the alternative cia is working with foreign powers like powerful rich arab nations you gotta gotta question this stuff man right um again with iran contra being such a big deal in this whole situation too Reagan was president during Iran-Contra, and obviously H.W. was vice president. And that Faisal guy that I mentioned at the uh, top of the episode where, you know, he's the guy that really has like a a widely quoted uh, disclosure of the Safari group. And it's not made public again until 2002. He, He spoke about this a little beforehand. Now, Faisal is actually really close friends with the Bushes. Um, very close friends with the Bushes, the Taliban leader, uh, you know, key terrorist figures. He went on to get sued by 9-11 families for funding terrorism as the head of Saudi intelligence. And his his uh, tenure there actually ended about 10 days before 9-11 happened. So you just see coincidence after coincidence here with the Bushes for some reason at the middle of this whole thing, specifically H.W. Um, w. Bush seems to be kind of the babbling idiot. Um, and a lot of us didn't want to say that he was an idiot. He got a DUI in the 70s. OK, that's a fucking retard. That guy is barely sliding into human. Uh, he's more ape than human at that point. They didn't even have breathalyzers then. So you had to be visibly provably shit-faced in order to get a freaking DUI at that point. So I'm going to go ahead and say he's a fucking retard 
And he basically just owned a baseball team and then ends up because his dad is like, hey, son, I can't be president again. You need to get up there. You're younger. Yeah, you're fucking dumb. You're the dumbest of the kids. But get up there. You're named after me. Your name will resonate. Get up there and we got to finish business. Okay. Dad's not going to get in trouble with the BCCI records that are in the World Trade Centers. We're going to go ahead and take that down, allegedly. And, you know, uh, you'll get up there and babble your way through it. He also, a lot of people forget, W. Bush almost choked on like a fucking tater tot or something. Right. So, I mean, a soft food. I can understand choking. Watch, I'm going to choke tomorrow on something. I can understand choking on like a big piece of food. This guy fucking almost died by a pretzel or a tater tot. I forget what it was. So not the brightest bush. Okay. Uh, this bush is no Christmas tree. It's a bad joke, but it kind of made sense in my head before I said it. He's not lighting up nothing other than the World Trade Center. So it's sad, though. It really is a sad situation. And it's, it's uh, you know, I don't know why I'm making jokes about that.